From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Are You Not Entertained? Joining me for what I have to say is my favourite hour of the weeks we get to do it, uh, my partner in crime, the great, the good Roger Mitchell. Hi, mate. Hi, good to, good to hear from you, Grant. It is also my favourite show um, of the platform, um, Go Lone Go. Well, that's because you get a free rent. You get free rent, Ryan. That's what that is. <laughs> Listen, uh, our shows are different and various people have got uh, different fav- favourites. And this one is the one that I think is the the, the most the, the, the most um, authentic me. You know, the other one you put on a little bit of a corporate mask. And then you've yeah, got you've, the got, you've got your tuxedo on. You've got your yeah. tuxedo on the other ones. Yeah, <laughs> and, and th- this one, no. Uh, so hopefully today we'll have a bit of a laugh. But you know what the problem is? We only do this once a month. And there is just so much. It is. I know. I, I'm really hoping because we don't discuss what before. I'm really hoping your two are going to cover a lot of the ones that I'm thinking of. <laughs> well, otherwise, I, I don't know where to I start. Am, I am. I am going to for one of those very rare occasions where I'm just going to hog this and go first myself. Um, Good. And, and I'm sure you can probably guess what uh, what I'm going to talk about. Not uh, Fulham's magnificent victory over Liverpool at Anfield yesterday. And I have to say, I, I, I can't remember them winning at Anfield in my lifetime. I remember us getting tonked 10-0 by Liverpool <laughs> at Anfield when I, in about 1986. I, I remember that vividly, waking up in the morning, picking up the sun at the train station at 5.30 on the train on the way to work and seeing the headline on the back that we got beat 10-0. Or was it 9-0? It was a thumping. I think I've erased it in my memory. But... We'll come to that in a bit, Roger, I'm sure, because I've got to talk about it. <laughs> How the hell can I not? It's second win in Anfield in 100 years or something. Um, I want to talk about Thursday and the game against Spurs and specifically, obviously, the disallowed goal that would have won us the point that we, I think, more than deserved. The press seems to think yep. we deserved, but but yep. we'll see. Now, for those of you that missed it, um, the Mighty Whites uh, were battering Tottenham. No, no bias in this uh, little... Vignette of a commentary. Um, no, I, I, think, I think you're playing well. Uh, we're one nil down. Uh, the ball drops into the box. It's hammered against a Fulham player. Uh, it hits him basically on the hip, but his arm happens to be by his side, hard against his leg, and the ball hits his hand before it hits his hip. Now, if his hand hadn't been there, it, it didn't deviate the flight of the ball, nothing. The ball just bounced straight back where it is. The Fulham player, Josh Madger, turns and tucks the ball into the bottom corner, one all, everybody's happy. The goal is then ruled out for handball. Now, at the time, I was leaping up and down and going absolutely mental about this because it just seemed so ridiculous to me that the referee would, A, disallow the goal, B, not even bother to look at the video replay because he'd obviously had the VAR guys in his ear telling him to, to rule the goal out. And I couldn't understand for the life of me why he didn't, go and look at the replay. Because anyone, any right-thinking person who looked at that on a replay would say, there is no advantage gained. It hit his arm, but his arm was by his side. He wasn't in an unusual position. It would have hit his leg. The goal stands. 
so I'm fuming and wailing and weeping and the, I, I'm over here in the US and so the, 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 the punditry afterwards, they kind of moved on fairly quickly. It wasn't until the next morning that I read that in fairness to the referee, that's the law, right? The law is if it hits a player's hand, even accidentally, and it falls to a teammate who scores, the goal is cancelled. Now, that's all well and good, but then the the salt in the wound is to read in that yep. same article that as of the following day, they were going to change that rule because it was so ridiculous. And you, you can't help but feel that something like that, to, to change a rule so important on the basis of one example tells you how stupid the rule was in the first place, how poorly worded it was. How can you, in a game that has 17 rules, how can you have one of them be so abjectly off and so demonstrably ridiculous and to not have foreseen that that sort of thing could happen? You know, this is this is not just my emotions at stake here, Raj, but Fulham's future in the top flight. You know, the, those that point... Um, could make the difference. You know, had we had that point, we'd be out of the relegation zone this morning, right? We'd be, yep. we'd be, we'd be uh, fourth from bottom, and on a tear. Now, fair play and 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 full credit to the team for coming back and then beating Liverpool on Sunday after that because it was an absolute heartbreaker. But I, I'm interested in your views on this because I am horrendously biased, as you can tell. No, actually, I think you're very measured. Um, where, where to start here? Because th- this goes way beyond. This goes way beyond Fulham. Uh, simply on Fulham, um, the fact that they've changed the the the, the rule mid-season, uh, people could get into all kinds of things. I mean, you could even think about suing uh, the IFAB if uh, right. Fulham goes down. Uh, so it, it, this is a dramatic thing, um, changing something mid-season. But let's take the points about um, what I call the meddling that's been going on uh, by a chap who you may remember, David Ellery, used to be a yes, referee. Yes, I do remember. Now, now is in charge of, I don't know what it's called, the technical department of IFAB, which is the, the people that run the rules of, of football. It's a, it's, um, it's a committee of FIFA and, and it's got the home nations involved in there. Uh, it's a, a strange organisation, but they make the rules. He's the technical director and... Um, He's been fiddling with uh, these rules consistently. Now, uh, uh, mean-spirited people would say it's classic uh, low-level authority pedantry that that you often get from a school teacher. Um, I wouldn't consider myself one of those mean-minded people, but many, many are. There was a a very harsh article in the Telegraph recently, I I believe, about this. Fact is that um, this is my view about all of this. We need to ask ourselves what we are expecting of our referees now. When we were growing up, our referees were relatively important people of normally pretty big gravitas. You know, I'm thinking in the 1974 World Cup final where in the first 30 seconds, Jack Taylor gets a penalty against the host. Yeah. Now, the, the, you you may not have agreed with these people. You may have thought they were, but they were big guys. They were big guys. What um, technology has done has uh, lobotomized referees. It could be a full lobotomy or it could be half, whatever you want to call it. But they don't now do not know what their role is in life. They um, are still getting a big salary, a very big salary. 
um, and they do not understand where they have to take the technolo technological line, where they have to read the rule book, which is changing. Like basically every week it's changing. The offside rule is moved in ways that doesn't make any sense to anybody that's played football with body parts hanging over a, a line or not. Um, we need to think as an industry, as football fans, what is the future for a referee? Because there is a future without a referee. There is yeah, one. No, you're right. There's definitely a future without lines, people. Definitely and easy to see and, and probably relatively imminent. So, you know, you saw your man, by the way, we'll come back to this, Scott Parker, who after the game was interviewed and with the, the most amazing dignity explained how this was killing the game that we all loved. Yeah. Yeah. You can't have goals ruled out, or in this case, uh, the handball, change what is the substance of the game. And this whole argument is under the heading form over substance. That 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 wasn't right what happened to Fulham. Um, it's not right some of the offsides you're seeing. Uh, and, and we have got a choice as football fans, as an industry. Do we want to take this game back from... The, the school teachers and the pedants and, and do we want to go back to substance over form? We know what offside is. We know what handball that is a penalty is and we know when the game should be stopped and not stopped. And in, right now we're in one hell of a mess um, but I'm hopeful. I always like to turn around problems into potential solutions for tomorrow. I'm hopeful that when you put the referee on such a big salary and say, what are you adding to the game? What are you adding to the show? What are you adding to our enjoyment? Um, and today the answer to all of that is precious fucking little, right? Uh, you then say, well, what if we make you up? You know, so you can go both yeah. ways on this, you know. If, the, if we do see a role for the referee in the future... I think we have to do it real, not half pregnant. We need to say you're you're part of the the game. Your opinion is part of the game, and we need to hear it. And that's what I think is my my belief about the last, not just Fulham. That this whole season's been a disaster from yeah. from day one on and refereeing. Well, it's interesting, you know, Ross. I read a quote which I sent you, but I'm going to read it again here because I thought it was just so beautifully worded. This was from The Athletic, and, and a, a, a quick plug for The Athletic. It is such a great, um, Wonderful. A great platform and worth every penny of the subscription. If you're a sports fan, I would strongly recommend you, you take a look at The Athletic. Um, but here, here was the quote. I'm going to read this to you now. It said, VAR was not directly at fault in the Magic incident. It was the wording of the law and its application. And here's the killer quote. But VAR has applied a microscope to a rule book of a sport that was never intended to be fully black and white. And in that tiny paragraph, wow. to me, wow. is the essence of the whole thing, right? Football is supposed to have these things in it. it when the game is finished, what do you do with your mates down the pub? You talk about the offside decision that wasn't given. You talk about the goal that was disallowed. You talk about all... This is the... This is what this is what brings the... And as Scott Parker said, this is what brings the raw emotion to the game, right? And by stripping the game of its emotion and making it down to video replays and getting having to get everything right. Now, I, I get it. There's, a, there's an awful lot of money at stake. I get it. I get it. But ultimately, this is a game and... It doesn't mean anything. What it, what it means is something that people can galvanise around their team, their club. They can, they can argue about it 
over beers in the pub. They can fight about it. They can disagree. They can agree. They can they can experience joy and pain and triumph and disaster and all these wonderful things. And the next day, you know what? It doesn't matter. The world doesn't change after all this. And and you know, Roger, uh, the, the, I have to say the the. And I know you're going to disagree with this, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. But I, when you talk about the, you know, all the laws, when I, when when I talked about VAR coming in, I was hugely um, uh, mm. keen on the idea because and I told you what would happen. No, you, no, you, you, you absolutely did, as always, as always. I, I live my life a year in advance, thanks to you. But um, <laughs> you know, I I was I was really keen to see it stop all the tugging of shirts in the penalty box and the pushing and the shoving. And I haven't seen any person get booked or any penalties get given this whole year. Instead, we've spent hours arguing over whether someone's armpit is over a line, putting them offside. Now, for me, the offside thing is so perfectly simple. If your foot is in front of the defender's foot, you're offside, period. Whether you're leaning in front of it or not, we all know that we're, you're going to lean if you move, your body moves. If you, if you are standing or, or you've yeah, taken a simple. stride in front of him, it's really simple. It's, it's that yeah. simple. And, and, and we complicate it for what reason? To, 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 to what? To be inch perfect in our decisions. It's, it's turned into an absolute travesty this season. And, and I'm sick of talking about VAR. I'm sick of the story of every game being about VAR if we're going to have these conversations after every match, why not have them as human frailty? Why not have them as a missed decision? Because it's it's much more palatable because at the back of your mind, you know these are human beings that make mistakes. To have a system designed to correct mistakes become the talking point after every game is absolutely ludicrous in my book. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and, and we're seeing the same thing. The only thing, if I was to be on the other side of the debating hall, um, I would just say two things. Frank Lampard, 2010, and Terry Lee against Ireland, handball yep. goal. Yep. Um, those are dramatic. And, and, and of course, anybody that says, I will fix that and you will never see that again, uh, you say, I'll have that and I'll have it double, double. Yeah, but, 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 but Rush, surely the, the Lampard goal, for example, right? The play carries on, they check it, they might they call down the referee, hey, listen, we're, that was a goal, blow the whistle, we're going to go back, we're going to kick off again. It takes them 30 seconds to do it, right? Anything that happened post that goal, we kick off, the clock goes back, put 30 seconds back the clock, away we go. Thierry Henry's amble. If it's a blatant decision like that, that changes the game, then let VAR rule on it. But if it's an offside, if it's, uh, you know, yellow cards, there was a... a one of the Fulham defenders, Kenny Tete, got a yellow card yesterday for a tackle where the replay showed he clearly got the ball, right? Clearly. There's, yeah. there's no way it was a yellow card. That should be able to be rescinded after the game. So, look, fine, you didn't get the free kick, but the yellow card, which has a meaningful effect at the end of the season, is rescinded. This is not complicated, right? It's not difficult to figure out what's really important to make sure you get a view on. And what isn't? I, I just I think if you had fans in charge of this thing, it'd be such an easy thing to sort out. But to your yeah, point, and, and this is the point. This is the point. You know, um, this should be easy to solve. You can solve it by doing like in tennis that you've got a certain number of challenges. You know, it's dead easy to do that. So the question is, um, why are they not doing that? Why yeah. do they have a school teacher changing the rules? Every Monday morning, um, 
where, um, and this comes down to where it always comes down to for me, certainly in football, it's just dreadful governance. There's um, people who are given an element of power that they get. Um, and remember, I don't want to go off in one here, but, you know, the FA structures um, are members clubs where a lot of, people in football at small teams, at small schools football, at Lancashire FAs, at Lanarkshire FAs, who nobody cares about in the grand scheme of things. When they get into the FAs and the league bodies, they become quite little, you know, little um, kind of like power mad people. You know, I've, I've seen it yeah, firsthand. Yeah, they are small people that get undue amounts of power and they use it almost stubbornly. And and that's through you and I and, and, and two guys passing by my window now that know about football would fix this this afternoon. We would, because we probably could do it dead easy. You've got your foot thing. I've got three challenges per team. It's dead easy, yeah. dead easy. But why don't they do it? Because they've got the wrong people in charge. Ellery, Ellery, after this season, I think he should just fall on his sword. Well, I think we both know that won't happen, sadly, because uh, the people that crave power that much never give up the power, no matter what happens. Right? They're never going to walk away from this. So, it, But it does beg the question, of what is the future for VAR? Because, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen anybody defending it this year. You know, there, Yes, there have been some... some uh, positives from it, but they've been so dramatically overwhelmed by the negatives and the and the questioning and the you know the the one that one flat out mistake in the I think Sheffield United Villa game there was one game at the beginning yeah. of the season there was a goals it, it, it's it's almost ridiculous how one sided the the kind of benefits versus the screw ups have been, but they're not going to you know we know you know from your time inside the kind of upper echelons of the administrative side of the game. There's no way they're going to do any kind of about face and say, you know what, we got this no. wrong. There's no way. They're going to push on with it regardless yeah. to save their face. Forget the fans. This is not about what's good for the fans. This is about us being proven right and we'll get there in the end and, you know, you guys can – we know what's best for you. Yeah, it's just it's just appalling, Roger. It's absolutely appalling. I, I don't know what the answer is. All I can hope is I think the challenges idea is a good one. Um, I think people understand that you can have a certain amount of challenges and you use them parsimoniously. The second thing is I'm just a great believer in um, the market. Um, and the market is is what Scott Parker said. You're killing the product. This product is a huge industry and the money will not allow the product to be killed. So they will sort this out. They will sort it out one way or another. And I'm hopeful that it's done in a way, as I say, it's easily sorted. You know, the the show must go on and they're currently killing the show and that's why I believe I'm actually optimistic in this one. Well, I'm, I, once again, I've learned to take my cue from you. So if you're optimistic, then I'm going to find a way to be optimistic because you're, you <laughs> generally tend to be right on these things. What have you got for me this week, my friend? Well, I've got this one that um, I think you're the perfect person to talk about this whole theme and it's a becoming a very big theme if not the major theme i don't i guess you're not a player of football index are you no i'm not 
you, you know what it is. I Have do. you got an idea yeah. of what, right, okay. So uh, football indexes uh, today, yesterday, in all kinds of hell because um, they changed their rules for the investors. They basically cut their dividends overnight. I won't go into the details of how dividends are paid or not paid, but let, let's just, I'll give you an example. The dividends on, on the invested players you have went from 14p to 3p overnight with a change of terms and conditions. Well, just uh, just, uh, just make sure that people listen to this who don't know what Football Index is, just give them the quick lowdown on it because it's... You, 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 you invest money in players that you think value will go up based on their performance their actual life performance. So it's a little bit like fantasy football uh, turned into a stock market. Uh, so you place real money, real money uh, on players, uh, depending on how they perform over a weekend, their value goes up or down and you get dividends. You get, you get a return on your money. There's real money at stake here. Yeah. Um, the value of the players, i.e. the assets that you had invested in, collapsed. Collapsed in a couple of days. You know, um, in our language, um, it went no bid, Grant. Mm -hmm. These players went no bid, right? And um, if you dig a little bit in what's happening here, um, this is a Jersey company, Football Index. Director left very suddenly last week. Uh, they make these announcements. Um, and now you've got all kinds of people saying, well, why wasn't the, the gambling authorities, the gambling commission all over them? Why didn't they see it coming? Now, I'm not going to say foot, football index is, is a bad thing. What I'm saying is it's the theme that you know because it goes into your world. I'm going to link it to um, NFTs, you know, um, the, the virtual tokens non-fungible tokens as NFTs. Mm -hmm. um, Topshop, you know, I, I'm going to give you a quote here. Um, six, five months ago, somebody bought um, a piece of digital video that was an NFT uh, for $67,000. It's now worth $6.6 This is a clip that you can get on YouTube without paying a cent. Uh, so... NFTs have become the flavor of the month in the sports industry in the last two weeks. Um, they are linked to Bitcoin or more appropriately blockchain. The NBA have been in the first position because they've done these things called top shots. Um, you've got the NBA now coming up with what they call a blockchain commission to, to discuss how they take this even further with um, the Mark Cubans of the world on it. As you can imagine, yeah. um, you've got uh, artists, you know, I think the Kings of Leon are putting out an album with That's their right. NFTs. Yep. And you think, you know, listen, you know that this has been my theme for maybe two years. This sport data, uh, fantasy, gamification, betting. That's been my main theme. Not because I think that's right. I don't make a judgment call on when I say these things. I just tell you what's going to happen. And what is happening now in the same week that Sports Radar, one of the biggest sport data companies, goes uh, through a SPAC to be valued at 10 billion with a B, mm -hmm. you have got football index melting down. You have got uh, the NFTs gaining into clear, clear bubble territory. You've got another company called Sorare that has been uh, another 50 million raise of VC money, benchmark, great VC full of a whole lot of the great and the good of the athlete investors. That's that's run on Ethereum, a, another crypto. 
you know, and you know, the whole thing is linked to you know where this is going because you see it in your world. You know, um, I saw you talking about Peter Atwater and he made this, you know, comment about social media influencers and how it's all becoming totally out of control and kilter. Sport, with football index as the, the example this week, is going into a vortex of nonsense in this stuff. Well, you know, what's interesting to me is this word gamification, right? Um, it's such an innocuous word, right? It's fine. You're making a game out of stuff. Well, what could be more lighthearted than that? Gamifying everything. But unfortunately, you know, when you do that and you, and you condition multiple generations to make a game of everything, the thing about a game, as we, as we were talking about football as a game, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter, right? To, to anyone who's watching it, apart from the emotions involved, it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no material win or loss from a game. If your team wins, you're happy for 24 hours. If they lose, you're miserable. Rinse, repeat, right? That's, that's how it works. So the idea of gamification, it, it turns everything into a game. But what's happened is you've then added uh, gambling into that because the casino is a series of games, right? But everyone that walks into a casino to play a game knows that there's money at stake here and they understand when you put the money on, there, there are people that just want to throw a few quid at the roulette table and see what happens. But there are serious people that want to gamble these things. And you've tapped into at, at least two entire generations to whom everything has become a game. And in the last year or so, you've given them an inordinate number of opportunities to put money on those games. And they're used to playing games their whole life, whether it's on their phones, on their game consoles, whatever it may be. And so throwing a few bucks here and a few bucks there, you, know, it, it, you just end up at this point where the money is meaningless because it's a game and people are going to get burned here. They're going to get burned dramatically. And I, I struggle to see why this isn't obvious but there's a part of me that understands why it's obvious because there are too many people making way too much money from milking all these poor saps that just think everything's a game and lose a bit of money here lose a bit of money there and suddenly you know look at look, look at the GameStop story um you know here here is a, a, a narrative created and you know i talked about this with ben hunt in my podcast recently a narrative created that this was Main Street sticking it to Wall Street. After all these years, we're finally sticking it to the Wall Street suits. And it's nonsense, right? For every one story of a hedge fund who got carried out but had deep-pocketed friends that bailed them out and they've made a fortune since then, there are hedge funds that cashed in by recognizing the retail mania and all the people that were paying stupid prices for stocks because it was turned into a game and a cause and cashing out with hundreds of millions of dollars. And... You know, understanding the rules of any game are crucially important. And when you gamify Wall Street, you are bringing people into a game which even the experienced players don't know all the rules because they're so arcane and so complex. Uh, and people have to study and get, you know, numbers after their name to be allowed to compete in that game as a professional. And you're going to open this game up to amateurs where, you know, it's, it's like it's like me teeing off on the PGA Tour from the same tees as Bryson, right? I don't stand a chance. 
And you can say what you like. I might hole a putt and beat him on a hole, and you can create any kind of narrative about how the every man can beat Bryson DeChambeau. But I don't stand a chance on that on that on that course yeah. on those tees. And and that's the way the world is, Roger. Unfortunately, the, the retail investors don't stand a chance in this. And and it's it's a great tragedy waiting to happen. Whether it's investing or whether it's sports betting, it doesn't matter. Well, you see, you're right. You're right. And and this is why this saddens me a little bit because. It takes us into the whole world of younger audiences who um, need more and more, and I see this, need more and more this kind of engagement uh, to follow a sport. It's their way of enjoying the sport. They're different from us. You know, they're watching a game, and I see it every day. I'm watching a game, and as soon as something happens, they're on Twitter to see the memes, and, you know, then you get the fantasy on that. And, and up to that point, it's wonderful, great fun, and it's great marketing, and I say bring it on. Um, but like in anything of the, advi- the, the devices, everything's great in moderation. Once you start, and this is the thing about NFTs, there's, there's, you know, I've, I've heard so many people opine about this this week on podcasts, on um, Clubhouse, on articles. You know what NFT is? It's a fucking autograph. It's a digital autograph because you can get the same thing anywhere else. So you're paying for an autograph and, and maybe it's worth it, maybe it's not. But, but here's my problem. When you see so many sports that are going to need to follow the betting dollar and follow the gamification to get younger audiences. It's a Faustian pact grant. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to be easy to control that. Yeah, no, I I I think you're absolutely right. But, but you've been, you've been so on this for such a long time in terms of looking down the road and seeing where it was going. And you said this was going to happen two, three years ago. You said this is where we were going and here we are. Uh, and, and it's, it's, it's like a snowball. It's it's picking up speed and velocity and weight as it rolls down this hill. And, and you can't help but think at some point it's going to smash into something and, and just turn into snowflakes. But I I don't know when that's going to happen or what damage it's going to do on its way down the hill, Roger. I don't know. I, I just, I just think we're, we're really picking up speed now. We're in the quickening um, and and all all these all these um, moments have got flags all around. You just need to look at them. You know, ten billion for sports radar, SPAC. All, all these buzzword things all come together. And you and I, you know, have worked in markets all our lives, and 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 we know how this ends. Yeah, sadly I, I just, we do. I'm just trying to work out how sport that desperately needs these younger audiences and desperately needs money from betting because TV money for most of them is going to be less. How, how do they deal with finding this balance? I, I really I really don't know, but you know, this this is the the, the own goal of the week, I think. Yeah, no, no I think I think you're right. I think you're right. Um well I I've 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 got another one here. I, I I mentioned this I mentioned this a second ago in relation to someone else, but um I was watching the golf over the weekend, uh, the Bay Hill uh, invitational at uh, Arnold Palmer's old tournament. And um, yeah, uh, my opinions of Bryson DeChambeau are well noted on this podcast. Uh, I don't like the whole you ruin my brand thing. I, I don't like that side at all. But I have to say, he was tremendous fun to watch this weekend, right? Tremendous fun. The, the whole, you know, trying to drive the green on the par five over the lake and stuff. It was absolutely fantastic to watch. Uh, and, you know, beyond that, watching... Lee Westwood at 47 years old 
um, wonderful, you know, in in contention, solid in contention, and you know he, that he, he made a, a a dreadful par, unfortunately, on the sixteenth, which was his I, chance. I saw. To, I watched the last night. Yeah, which is a chance to get into a playoff for him. It would, it would have been great. Um, but again, you know, magnanimous in defeat, and you know, Bryson was also great in defeat. You know, when when uh, Westwood hit the shot out the divot to the last green, you know, you, you saw the camera, the, the microphone caught Bryson saying. You know, that was awesome. It was a hell of a shot, Lee. Well played. Yeah, there was one yeah. shot in it. It was, it was great. It was, it was. I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. It so was, there was everything was to enjoy about that. It was, it was golf at its finest. Great, great competition, exciting, close, great skill, all that stuff. And so that was a definite goal. But the own goal, having bemoaned the lack of fans for so long, I couldn't help the whole way through it listening to that, you know, that one or two idiots. You know, we're close to the mic when they hit the ball. There's the stupid comments and the just the nonsense that you always get when you get fans boozed up at a golf tournament. You kind of sit there thinking, is there any way we can just find a halfway house and maybe remove the fans from the you tees? Can't. Just take them away from the tee. Don't let them be on the tee. Oh, right. you know, when you get to the Masters on 13, there's no fans around the tee. They're out there in the middle of Amen Corner. There's nothing there. It's beautiful. This, but this, the, is, this, is the, this is the classic... Um, thing that makes me always laugh, you know, all oh, the atmosphere, isn't it wonderful? The call, Ibrox Celtic Park, <laughs> yeah. you know, as long as you can't hear what they're actually saying, <laughs> exactly you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, it always makes me laugh, the romanticism of the atmosphere, but the shock horror tutting when you actually hear what they're saying when you're right in amongst them, that's fandom. Yeah. And that's why I always have more, um, a permissive uh, attitude to the abuse because I think it goes hand in hand. Yeah, no, no, no it does. It just, I, like I said, it's it's just a shame that you get those people that that, you know, what are you thinking? You know, you, it's, it's just it just drives me nuts. Yeah, you talk about the the you know the, the noise and the fandom and all that stuff. It's been interesting in the in the last couple of weeks. It feels like they've turned up the microphones on the pitch in the cover. They've still got the kind of white fan noise in the background. But it seems like they've turned up the noise on the pitch. And as they've turned the noise up, you realise what a bunch of namby-pamby prima donnas these footballers are when they get tackled. I mean, yeah, have you noticed? Screaming, yeah. Have you noticed? Screaming, screaming, did you see yeah. the Match of the Day thing last night? Did you see I this? Didn't, I, I didn't see that. On Match of the Day, they, they made a big thing about Lacazette and the screaming. You know, he, he got tackled yeah. yesterday uh, in the Burnley game, or, or two days ago in the Burnley game, you know, went down like a sack of spars. It was screaming, you know, screaming until he got up and got on with the game, obviously, you know. And, yeah, and it's, you, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. Good and look. when you isolate it, it looks even worse. And uh, it was great. At the end of match of the day, they had um, they had Lineker, Wrighty, and I think it was Shearer in the middle. And, and Lineker, as he signed off, said, right, well, that's it from us. We're going to go off and practice our screaming. And then all three of them fell on the floor <laughs> and were screaming in agony <laughs> as they as they closed the show. It was great. But oh, it, God. But it, but it does, again, it does, it, it just, it's such a bad look for football. It's such a bad look for, for, for the, the game. For them themselves. And them. For them themselves. And them, yeah. I, I don't get that bit, you know, like, uh, what do you say to your, 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 your son or daughter or grandchildren when, when they see that? Um, we just buy them a Bentley, uh, you know, like uh, I, I saw, I saw actually two recently with one of my favourite players, uh, Kieran Tierney, Arsenal, uh, where um, it was an, an incident and he went down clasping his head, and the replay showed it nowhere near impact with his head. 
you know, and, and, you know, I'm thinking, son, you know, like you're a Glasgow boy. Do you really want to have that reputation? Yeah. You know, like I, I, I don't get that, you know, and like if I was a sponsor and I, I would be saying to them, none of this crap, you know, none of this, you want to be associated with my brand. I want you to be seen the way the rugby boys are, you know, and none of this nonsense. I'm not up for that. Well, I, th I think, um, but, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a great way to solve this, Roger. What if we have like a video assistant referee? that watches these things and then they can rule on it after the fact. Wouldn't that be a brilliant idea? <laughs> yeah, we like we become suddenly like the Super Bowl that the game would last six hours. But can I come back to golf for a yeah, minute? Yeah, yeah. Because um, I watched it last night uh, because I, I think, I know you and Giles are doing a special on golf and I don't know what, what you, what's going to come out, but I, again, maybe it's a strange day today, but I'm pretty optimistic about golf, you know? Um I'm not specifically about Bryson. Um, I think they have turned a corner in realising that they're in the entertainment business. Um, you know, one of the things that I saw on my Twitter feed this week was a, a woman golfer, professional, um, and somebody had honed in on their on their swing, and it just was magnificent. It was magnificent. So I'm thinking, you maybe you can help me on this. Why haven't they got uh, unisex tournaments? Why aren't the men playing with the women and they tee off on the ladies' tee? Why wouldn't that just be the most amazing fill-up for, for golf to capture the whole women and men's market together? Yeah, look, it's, it's funny enough, um, Giles and I have, have done a bunch of the interviews for this golf special and we have talked about this. So, so uh, I don't want to preempt it. Right. But, but, okay, look, leave no, it there. No, leave but, it. no but, but absolutely, Rog. You know, it, it, golf is the perfect game for that, right? Because you can even up the playing field, right? Just by moving those tees. You can even up the playing field and so you can create uh, a, a, an arena that is as level as it can possibly be for for the the competitors and so i i think there's i think it would be eminently possible to arrange a tournament where men and women compete against each other and i i suspect that will come i really do i think that will come in the next couple of years now it won't be an official pga tour sanctioned event but i dare say that why not no no not at first not at first i think they will try it like a skins game type thing they'll 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 create something like a you know the match or one of these made for tv things just to just to test it and see what the audience thinks of it and do all those good things but they'll they'll be able to prove i think that way that it is possible to to have the best women players in the world competing against the best male players in the world and maybe you throw the seniors in there too although that that's trickier yeah. that's trickier because the senior men you know they're not that far behind yeah well you work it men, out but you, you, know, you, you, you figure it out um so I, I, I think it's a great idea, and I, th I absolutely think it'll happen in, in the not-too-distant future. I, I really do. And, that, and that's not inside information from the conversations we've had. I mean, the, the, the conversation was similar to this one, but, um, but I absolutely think that that is coming, and, and I, I, I can't wait for it to, frankly. I think it'd be fantastic. Well, let, let me give you another story that backs up my view that, you know, golf is, is coming, is, is, is the next thing. Um, there's a, a rap artist that I didn't actually know. He's a guy called uh, Macklemore. Um, quite a successful uh, rap. Um, Even artist. I've heard of Macklemore. You're, you, listen, mate, you're, you're supposed to be the cool, trendy one with the. You, you've, you've heard of this guy? I have. It's, it's Macklemore, I believe. Not Macklemore. All right, okay. I just, I just, see that. I I'm, auth it. I'm authentic. I didn't sell that. I knew this guy. You see, there you go. 
um, even got his name wrong. So uh, he is in Hawaii and he's a non-golfer and he gets invited by his mates for a round of golf. And as you can imagine, hacks all the way through, you know, the first 16 holes or something like that. On the 17th hole or whatever it was, he's in a bunker, has that swing and hits it perfectly, perfectly, right? And, you know, he says, that changed my life. You know, the, the and he said something that is so true, and we all know this, but he expressed it really well. He said, the dopamine hit when you hit a golf ball out of the center of the club, there's nothing like it. The ball goes a long way, you don't feel it, and it's a magnificent sensation. So the fact is, he then got hooked, and he has become an avid golfer. So much so, and this is the point of the, the story, he has now created a clothesline of what I would call, not Payne Stewart-esque stuff, but what I would call dandy-esque attire for men and women in golf. And it's going gangbusters. You know, he, he said, uh, you know, I'd go into the pro shop and everybody looked the same and all these boring clothes and, you know, uh, golf's a great thing. And, and anyway, the point is, he's creating that famous word again, a lifestyle brand, you know, from a sport that I would think many would have said 20 years ago, was stuck in the Henry Longhurst years yeah. of, you know, I, I'm optimistic, especially if they get the women involved. They are great players. Yeah, no, it, it, it does lend itself to that. You have to say it, it, it can be a lifestyle simply because it takes an age to play it. And But but also it's <laughs> it's it's a game that you can play, right? Until well into your 80s, into your 90s. There are, there are people that can still do that and, and you know, shoot beneath their age. So it is a game for a lifetime. So why not for a lifestyle? I think I think that's that makes perfect sense yeah. to me. I can totally see why that's happening. Well, I've got one now that I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to call it a goal uh, because Go again, in my kind of like up, up, up mood this today, I, I see a brighter future for Barcelona. Barcelona um, this week, uh, there was a little bit of a perfect storm. Um, we now know that La, Laporta has been uh, re-elected as the president. But um, I'm going to go uh, at the story saying that it's an almost an irrelevance, this election. And here's why. Um, you saw that the previous uh, president was arrested, uh, a whole lot of horrible stuff that he was had black money paying a, yeah. a PR company to, to, to diss PK and Messi. Just awful, awful stuff. Mismanagement, hand in the tail, he's... he's He's still innocent, obviously, but he's been arrested. Um, equally, you get um, the EU saying that Real and Barca, and I think another couple of clubs have had state aid that they need to pay back. Yeah, I think that's. I think that I think that's linked to their their non for profit status because they're a member organisation. Right. So this is why I'm saying I think this election may be one of the biggest non events of all time. Um. Barcelona have been just dreadfully mismanaged over maybe maybe eight ten years, um, dread, dreadful, and they've run up they've run up about a billion in debt, most of which is short term debt within twelve months grant. So they are they are insolvent, right? You know, like they they do not have currently the means to pay their debts as they fall due, which is the the definition of trading whilst insolvent. They have to pay back the state aid, um. And you know what happens when you owe a billion uh, dollars in debt 
Um, you can have all the elections you want. You can create uh, new presidents. You can have new CEOs. The only person that's deciding what happens to your club is guy that's got the chitty for the billion dollars, right? Yep. The, and, 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 you know, you spoke to Paul Singer on your podcast recently. He had the chit for uh, Milan and he ended up owning Milan. He now owns mm -hmm. AC Milan. This is what's going to happen with Barcelona, I suggest. Uh, the, the debt holders would be incredibly smart when you look at the valuations of other similar huge clubs that are in the 4 billion upwards um, valuation um, to just say, I'm, I'm, I'm converting. You're, you're in breach of your covenant. Yeah. Um, you have, you're having to go to a, a limited company now anyway because of the state aid thing. It's a limited company. I'm converting. I'm owning the club. It's uh, I got Barcelona for a, a billion valuation instead of four, five, six that the, the other benchmarks are. It's the deal of the century grant. That's what. That's why. That is my goal. Anybody that's got their head screwed on, and and I know it's politics, and I know it's Catalonia, and I know all of this, but this is the greatest debt for equity opportunity in sport that we will see for many years. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's 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 a great point, Raj. It's a great point. If you could, if you if you think about the money that's been spent on vastly inferior clubs over the last five years, vastly inferior clubs, it makes you realise what a what an absolute steal that would be for somebody. And and I dare say there are people, you know, we know from from our conversations in the big interview, just how actively this private equity money is scouring the football world. So if, if, if you think for a second that these guys haven't landed on that and realised that that is a great opportunity, I'd be I'd be. Staggered. I don't think they have. I think this is under-reported. Under uh, I, I, I think people don't see the day angle the way guys like Singer do. Um, I, I just think it's under-reported. I mean, th this thing came out this week, the state aid thing. Um that puts you back away, takes you out of the, the fact of it being a member's organisation. At that point, it's game on. I don't understand why there hasn't been a lot of comment. Maybe by the time this comes out on Thursday, we're recording it on Monday, maybe there will be, but yeah, uh, maybe. I think it's I think it's the deal of the century. Yeah, no, no, it, it makes sense. It makes sense, I have to say, Roger. It, uh, if I had a spare billion lying around, it would be the first thing I'd look to try and soak up, that's for sure. That's for but sure. Listen, I... I, I on the on the kind of like winding up and the, the the funny stuff, you know, I'm always on the search for the absurd in the world of sport, uh, and and I I do really love the the absurdity of stuff. And while it's sometimes tragic, it does make you laugh. Remember, we had that story about Karabag and you know kill all the Armenians. Remember that? Yeah. And then we had um, another story around Djokovic. That, does Serbia get a bad a bad name in sport, or is there people against Serbia? Well, let me read you this story that I found on a rather obscure site called <laughs> um, um, DailySabah.com. Oh, I, so yeah, I, I have I am familiar with that site. Are you? I am from, from my from my writing. I, I've I've looked at that site a number of times. They have some interesting stories on there, actually. But go on, carry on. Uh, so I'm just going to read this now because I want to give them the it's full credit. It's S-A-B-A-H, for those of you at home who are trying to figure out how to spell this. That's right, yeah. The president of Serbia's football association was on Sunday questioned by police in connection with recent events of several members, members of football fan groups accused of murder, kidnapping and drug trafficking. <laughs> Serbian media said... 
Saliva Kokeksa, that's his name, was quizzed over his links to leaders of partisan Belgrade supporter groups who were arrested early in the month in what officials say is a major crackdown against footballs linked with organised crime. Details from the police investigation leaked to the media leaked include <laughs> alleged killings by group members of their rivals including decapitations and torture in a special bunker underneath the partisan stadium in the Serbian capital. <laughs> They're running Guantanamo out of the stadium. <laughs> P- populist Serbian president, who has often boasted in his youth about being a radical supporter of partisans' rival Red Star Belgrade, said Saturday that some of the shocking details of the investigation will be now made public and that children will be warned not to watch. Looks, looks, looks like that's a, gl- a great plug for whatever's coming out. Serbia has a history of tolerating hil- hooliganism that often resulted in violence and outbursts of nationalism at stadium. Stadia. They say stadiums, but you know that's one of my things. Uh, blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, with the return of nationalists to power in Serbia nine years ago, far-right football supporters were often seen at pro-government rallies promoting a nationalist political agenda. In exchange, in exchange... Analysts say the hooligans have been allowed to pursue their illegal business activities that hence the dungeon in the stadium. More than a dozen prominent figures from the country's football supporters groups have been murdered in recent years. Most have perished in Ganlide-style killings. So this comes back to a little bit what I said before about, you know, on one side you've got all this kind of like soft values, we're so upset about football and maybe the odd uh, nasty comment here and there and everything like that. This is the shit that's going on at the other side of the spectrum. And I just, I just, as a realist in life, I just think this is so funny. I I, I just think on behalf of fans of Taggart everywhere to hear a Glaswegian say the word murder, Again, it's just <laughs> it's just a throwback to a, a gentler time, Rog. A much gentler time. There's there's been a it's murder. Been a murder. <laughs> <laughs> now listen, before we before we wrap up, I I have to ask you this because you and I watched the same game of football yesterday, and I'm sure we both watched completely different games of football. I'm talking about Fulham Liverpool. Because yeah. as a Fulham fan, I sat there bewitched in the first half. Uh, by our performance. I thought we absolutely ran the game. Elated at scoring 15 seconds before halftime. And then I spent the next 45 minutes behind the sofa like I was eight, year old, eight years old watching the Daleks on Doctor Who again. What, what, what did that game look like to the neutral? I'm just curious to know. Well, well if, if I may, I'll take two steps back. Oh, and, and, and your comments on, on uh, Scott Parker's uh, dress code yesterday as well when you got a second at the end of this. I, I listen, I like that. I like people that I like dandies. I like people that are kind of like going on the edge on clothing. Uh, I'm a big fan of Scott Parker. I love the whole streets, uh, the accent. I'm not going to hear, hear a word against that quote. I, I thought it was fine. I saw him getting some stick for that. But no, not, not from <laughs> a little me. little tight, maybe? Uh, <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. When you win at Anfield, you can go bollock naked and, and you're the king. <laughs> you can, <laughs> you know, so like the reverse fixture. Um, Fulham Liverpool was the time that we in our 
football fantasy world decided that Salah was out of our team because that was the game that I thought Liverpool looked as if they were out on their feet, they were tired, they they had lost their verve, they weren't pressing high, they, they looked like they were going to struggle and, and honestly they have since then. Um, I, um, I think a big part of yesterday's game from the lineup of Liverpool onwards, that was basically a reserve team they had. Grant, yeah. um, not because they, they, not because they thought they could win with the reserve team, just because I think they're out on their feet, and and he does, he's just looking for somebody that can put a little bit of energy in the team. That that's the main, you know, priority for a manager when a team's flat like that. Who's going to give me a wee bit of a, a boost of energy? He, he tried some new players, um, and I have to say, Fulham. How did I see it? Again, coming back to the fantasy stuff, we've put two Fulham defenders in our team recently because we've seen a, a huge amount of organisation. You know, I don't think you look like conceding yesterday. You know, e even, really? if the bloody game, even if the game went to 96 minutes, I don't know, it's 97 even, you know, um, great save by the goalie from Jota. My lord! Yeah, that was some. Sign. I mean, that it was a, that was a great strike. I mean, that was a difficult shot, and like, geez, that was a bit. You know, I was sitting there, and you know, we we have got some of our competitors in fantasy that have still got Salah, and you know, you know, so I didn't want uh, uh, Salah to score, and I just said, said like, he's not scoring, they're not scoring. Liverpool, uh, Fulham have got this under control. I know that didn't help you, but as a, as a neutral, I was pretty certain they were going to bring home the bacon. It's, it's, it's so interesting, isn't it, how, you, how, how the same game can be seen so differently? Because I, was, I, was, I reckon I stood up for most of the second half, just standing there like eight feet from the TV with my hands clutched in front of my face because it just, it just felt like inevitable that, that we would give up a goal somewhere because we have a habit of doing that. Or had had a habit to do that until the last sort of eight or ten games, where they yeah, he's got it together. But but honestly, if you had more quality in the top third, you would have put two or three bass time on the counter attack. Yeah, no, you just you're right. don't have that quality up front. No, you're right. Uh, and 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 you know, I really hope you stay up for you, obviously, but for Scott Parker also. Um, you, you've got a team that's organised. I was very critical of them at the start. Remember, you, you know, or oh, the bookies have already <laughs> right. paid out. So, you know, on relegation. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, I mean, like, to be fair, you know, like, I was wrong on that. Maybe they will still go down, but, you know, they're now a credible team. And as you say, um, relegation, these battles are all about momentum at this stage of the season. And Fulham look like a team that are going to pick up points in a lot of games. Um, Brighton don't. Uh, Newcastle look as if they are in real, real trouble. And um, I think you're going to stay, aren't me? Well, I, really do. I, I would. I, I I hope we can have a, a beer and celebrate that, Rog. Come May, we'll see. We'll see. It, it may happen. I, I, I won't be too overconfident being a Fulham fan. You learn not to do that, but we'll see. Well, look, I guess that's um, that's it for another week, my friend. Uh, yeah, always a pleasure, as always. Um, yeah, great. And now, thanks to you out there for listening, not just to this show, but all the other shows we put out. But are you not entertained? If you don't follow us already, please do so. You'll find us on Twitter at EntertainedR. That's the word, A-R-E. You'll find me on Twitter at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you'll find myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Uh, all right, mate. Uh, I will talk Thank to you soon. You, Take care. That was great. Have a great week. Take care.